0: If you're a leader or an aspiring leader in the business of lifelong learning, you're in the right place. I'm Salisa Steele.
1: And I'm Jeff Cobb. And this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 197 of the Leading Learning Podcast, in which Salisa and I are going to talk about the concept of leverage. Leverage.
0: And specifically, we're going to talk about how leverage works in lifelong learning and the business of lifelong learning. But before we get to that, I think it would be useful to put leverage in context.
1: Definitely. So first, we should probably say what we mean by leverage, both as it applies to individual lifelong learners and as it applies to learning businesses. So for learners, it's all about getting maximum value out of any time and effort that they put toward learning. It's about ensuring that learning is not simply an event, something you attend and then mostly forget within a matter of days, if not hours, but rather a process, something that continues to produce returns over time. So for example, invest half a day in attending a seminar and you should get many multiples of that investment in the positive impact the learning from it creates over time.
0: And so, Jeff, what you just talked about, that's the learner side of the leverage equation. Learning businesses, of course, strive to help learners achieve that type of leverage. And there are many ways they can use even limited resources to expand what they're able to do to reach more of the right learners and increase their impact. So leverage for the learning business is basically the key to maximizing reach, revenue, and impact, that triumvirate of learning business goals that we've discussed on many occasions.
1: And so hopefully that gives listeners at least an initial idea of what we mean by leverage. But there is, of course, a catch. As essential as leverage is to the success of a learning business, you really can't pursue it in a vacuum and expect good results. You have to also have vision and insight.
0: Yeah, and you actually need vision and insight first. And so we're going to break those down at least briefly before heading into a deeper discussion of leverage. So with vision, we're talking about the efforts learning businesses um conduct to help their learners see a path, to help them see where they could go in their life and in their career, and also see the specific steps they need to take to advance from where they are now to where they could potentially be. So that's the practical side of vision. And then there's also a higher level aspect of vision that's about the positive change we aim to create for the field or the industry or the profession that we serve. So how will we elevate the profession and and set the standard for the people who work in it?
1: And so that's vision, but then vision on its own is not enough. As learning businesses, we have to address how what we offer actually applies and creates value in the reality of the learner's situation. We need really clear insight into what's most essential, what are the most essential activities for supporting our vision and maximizing our impact. And insight is about understanding existing circumstances, really knowing your situation, and then seeing how the vision might be attainable in that context.
0: And it's really only after you have both vision and insight that you can most effectively make use of leverage. Leverage meaning those specific ways to achieve and accelerate the change that you're after. If you try to go straight to leverage without vision, you might be achieving and accelerating change that doesn't really help with the goals you have in mind. And if you try to go to leverage without insight, you might be working harder than you need to. So you might be doing things inefficiently, or you might even be doing the wrong things entirely.
1: And we're thinking that uh, both of these concepts of uh, vision and insight might be worth devoting a future episode to, so stay tuned for that. But for today, we just wanted to make sure we note their importance and how they relate to leverage. And you know, the whole point of pursuing insight and insight that is tightly connected to a clear, compelling vision is that we need to create, need to create leverage, maximum leverage, and really it's the most powerful thing a learning business can do now or in the future for that matter, create leverage for ourselves, and of course, much more importantly, create leverage for our learners.
0: So now that we've set the stage, we can turn to talking more specifically about how to achieve leverage, and one of the key areas we're going to focus on is technology. Technology is definitely not the only source of leverage for learning businesses, but it's clearly a major one in our current world. A lever, after all, is just a type of technology, and technology is fundamentally about creating leverage. But after we have that compelling vision and after we have insight into what's really needed, because then our choices about technology are clear, they're focused, they're strategic, they're not just uh, driven by our whims or by the latest trends
1: so then you know what are some ways we can gain leverage as organizations in the learning business and and focusing mainly right now on technology as a as a source of leverage well we're we're quickly reaching a point where technology can boost our capacity significantly by extending and enhancing our capabilities for creating learning content rapidly and facilitating learning experiences so in e-learning, for example, a platform like Wildfire uses artificial intelligence to create learning content. You provide source materials, so simple text, PowerPoint, or video, and then Wildfire generates what it calls active learning experiences. So these aren't just page clickers. These are you know really active learning that it's creating, and it's, it's won awards for doing this.
0: And so we'll put uh, this URL and others in the show notes for this episode, um, which you can find at leadinglearning.com slash episode 197. But you can find out more about Wildfire at wildfirelearning.co.uk. Now, another development tool that makes use of artificial intelligence is Quillians. And in the case of Quillions, the AI creates assessment and quiz questions based on content that you feed into it, and you can find out more about that tool at Quillions.com. That's Q-U-I-L-L-I-O-N-Z.com.
1: Yeah, and I think that one's you know particularly valuable to any organization that uh, you know has to continually be generating questions that might support studying uh, for a certification exam of some sort, for example. Now, those are two ways to, to uh, enhance capacity. capacity. Um, Another is around supporting and facilitating learning experiences. And with that, we're reaching a point where AI-driven interactions can really play uh, both a valuable and increasingly a viable role. So in 2016, for example, Georgia Tech added a new teaching assistant, Jill Watson, to its large knowledge-based artificial intelligence, or KBI, class. And Jill quickly became so adept at answering many of the thousands of questions that students ask each semester that very few of them realized that she was an AI-driven TA, not a human TA.
0: Yeah. And uh, I know that uh, Georgia Tech is continuing to uh, enhance their AI TAs and and use them at larger scale. We'll, again, include a link in the show notes where you can find out a little bit more about Jill Watson and and kind of the the current state of um, AI-driven TAs. Another example is Jamie Good's Takeaways chatbot. And he first released that during the 2016 Dev Learn conference, and it was designed to interact with users for about a two-week period, starting during uh, the place-based conference, and then extending after it. And again, we'll put in the show notes a, a link to a little more information about that chatbot and, and how it works. Um, but the interesting thing is, is that you know, even if none of these technologies that we're mentioning um, are perfect, they certainly are good enough. At this point, to already significantly augment the capacity of staff and subject matter experts.
1: Yeah, I think it's interesting, in particular, what's what's possible with chatbots now. Uh, uh, any organization can really, um, you know, go figure out a chatbot and, and figure out how to leverage that in, in a variety way of ways as part of a learning experience. So I definitely do encourage uh, readers to to go and, and read that article about Jamie's chatbot and. In the meantime, uh, if you're looking to augment the capacity of your learning business, and we know so many learning businesses do want to augment capacity, in fact, we've even had an entire episode on that, if that is your goal, we definitely encourage you to check out our sponsor.
0: Calm Partners. helps learning businesses conceive, develop, and fulfill their online education strategy. Their solutions begin with Elevate LMS, an award-winning learning platform that provides a central knowledge community community and drives learner engagement. To extend the value of Elevate, Compartners provides a wide range of online education services, including curriculum design, instructional design, fully managed webinars, webcasts, live stream programs, and virtual conferences. Find out more at leadinglearning.com slash compartners. And so now let's look at another key aspect of leverage.
1: Yeah, so beyond enhancing our capacity, which of course is is a big thing, technology can also obviously dramatically expand our ability to reach more learners than ever before and you know e-learning of course is kind of exhibit A in this it's a, an obvious example but another area and you just referenced it in talking about com partners uh selisa so another area that we think is poised to play a dramatically bigger role in the learning business than, than it has so far is virtual conferences. And we know that you know most of us are not reaching anywhere close to the majority of our prospective learners with our current face-to-face, place-based activities.
0: Yeah, and then on top of that, I mean, if we look at the trajectory that we're on um, in terms of climate change, you know, I think there's really no way that we aren't going to see significant pushback on conference travel and conference waste in the coming decade. And so now really is a time to seriously look at virtual conferences if you haven't yet, or if you already have um, made that pivot towards virtual conferences, looking at investing and growing those and improving those ones that you've already launched. And, um, I'll note, too, that virtual conferences um, really are a viable option for organizations of all sizes.
1: Yeah, that's true. I mean, we've seen small organizations uh, really embrace the virtual conference form. Just to offer one specific example, we know that the Association for Healthcare Documentation Integrity, or AHDI, recently launched a virtual conference. In fact, they replaced uh, one of their annual, uh, their big annual conference with a virtual conference. And they're a very small staff organization, but you know, they took time to gain that insight into their market that we talked about earlier. And because of that, they were able to identify this as a, a clear, significant opportunity.
0: And the last aspect of leverage that we'll touch on is one that I find really exciting and significant, and that's the way in which technology can help us increase the effectiveness and impact of our educational offerings. Um, so tools like Booster Learn provide automated, structured ways to help learners review and apply and test themselves over time, you know, so following a a course or a conference or other learning event. And you can find out more about that specific tool, uh, Booster Learn, that I mentioned as an example at bizlibrary.com. And you may already be familiar as a listener to this podcast uh, with the Mocha Minute. That's from the American Board of Anesthesiology. This is an app which again provides for that spaced review and practice. In um, in that case, um, it's questions to prepare for a board certification exam. And we'll be sure to put a link in the show notes to the interview I did with Dr. Deborah Cully about the Mocha Minute.
1: And we know that this type of spaced review and self-testing is among the most effective of learning practices. This is the kind of thing that gets talked about extensively, for example, in um, Make It Stick, you know, the the great book about uh, the the science of learning. But historically, most of us just haven't had the the staff and the the volunteer resources for pursuing this, you know, for getting it together and and, uh, executing on it. you know, I'll mention that um, inspired by the work of Mark Nillis uh, that he shared at uh, our leading learning symposium a couple of years ago, and then at Learning Technology Design. So Lisa and I experimented with some spaced review and boosting after our virtual conference, after uh, one of the recent LTDs. And we did that uh, n- not with any fancy tools, but stuff that's really uh, within the, the range of any organization of any size. We used a combination of email, so just our standard email platform. We, we happen to use MailChimp and survey. Uh, monkey and you know putting those together, we were able to do some boosting that was uh that, well we think was engaging and and effective uh, following the event. So you know technology helps, but it doesn't have to be you know the the latest greatest artificial and in, artificial intelligence uh, driven technology.
0: Yes, and then aside from enhancing our organizational capacity, tools like these intersect with key ways we can create much more leverage for learners going forward. So again, the key is to find ways that learners get maximum value out of any time and effort that they put toward learning. And there are many ways we can create this kind of leverage, but um, we want to highlight just three more that we think are critical.
1: And the first of these is one that's uh, dear to my heart. I've written and spoken about this a number of times, and that's curation. And by curation, we mean doing the work of sifting through the volumes of content that flow through any field or industry and and pulling out the things that seem to make the most sense, seem to have the most value, seem to be the most relevant for the curator's audience.
0: And traditionally, curation has been a pretty manual effort um, aimed at, you know, for example, coming up with content that you might share in a newsletter that goes out to your entire audience, or or a piece of content that's shared in an online community. And that's still very important work because this type of curation creates common knowledge and shared points of reference across the professions that we serve. And this is an important source of of guidance to our learners, um, and it's worth becoming better at doing it, more intentional at doing it.
1: Yeah, definitely. We think it's so important that uh, we did actually devote uh, an earlier episode to curation aimed mainly at this type of curation uh, that that we're talking about, the the, the type that creates that broader base of knowledge across the professions that we're serving, and we'll definitely be sure to link to that in the show notes. And we also have a video on uh, using Feedly, which is a, uh, an RSS reader, really simple syndication reader, using that as a curation tool that's very practical if you're looking to get started with or simply in, improve this kind of curation and have some, some technology to, to really help you support that process uh, over time. We use this for curating our own monthly Leading Links newsletter. And again, uh, check out the show notes at leadinglearning.com episode 197 for the link to that video and other resources for this episode.
0: But now, of course, in addition to that uh, more manual kind of curation that we've been talking about, it is now possible to be much more automated and therefore personalized, too, with curation. And I'm thinking of tools like Self-Study, which you can find out more about at selfstudy.com, which leverages AI to curate personalized learning content, or Raza.io, which uses AI to create personalized newsletter Content based on individual subscriber interests and, and their behavior as well,
1: and these are of course you know really powerful tools. Um, they create a great deal of value for learners, and it's the nature of the machine learning and the artificial intelligence behind them that they get they get better and better at time over time. I mean they learn um, as you're putting more into them, and are going to be able to really focus in on what an individual learner needs. Um, but I, I will I will admit that um, I, I worry at times that. We may become too intensely personalized and individualized in our learning, um, and I think we may think that you know technology is is going to sort of take care of everything for us. I, I always reference T. S. Eliot on this. He talks about uh, dreaming of systems so perfect that nobody will have to to do any work, or in this case, nobody will have to to do any any learning. And I think, um, I, you know, I think. As, as, as attractive as that can sound on a certain level, um, we need to still be thinking about um, sort of more, more communal um, forms of learning, not the so intensely personalized and individualized. And, and so that leads us to the next lever that we'd like to highlight.
0: But before we get to that next lever, we want to thank our sponsor.
1: Authentic Learning Labs is an e-learning company that offers products and services to help improve your current investments in education. One key product is Authentic Analytics, a dedicated suite of visualization reports to help analyze and predict the performance of education programs. Organizations use Authentic Analytics to easily scan through volumes of data and intuitive visuals, chart performance trends, and quickly spot opportunities, issues, and potential future needs. Find out more at leadinglearning.com authentic. And so now on to that next lever, community.
0: So there's been plenty of buzz about community over the past several years, and and I don't think we're anywhere near maturity in understanding community as a lever for learning. Um, I think mostly there's been a race to implement community software platforms, and and many, arguably even most of these have resulted in listservs and discussion boards where. There's not actually all that much of real substance happening.:
1: Yeah, we've probably all participated in, in some of those, but uh, at the same time, you know we know that learning is fundamentally social, and we know that learning spreads and multiplies through communities and and through the larger networks to which they connect. you know I think our, our challenge with community is not so much one of technology. There's plenty of technology there at this point, as you uh, uh, indicated, Salisa. But, but again, I think it's one of vision and insight and um, and prioritization. You know, if I were going to put a single role in place at your average learning business right now, it wouldn't be an e-learning designer. It wouldn't be an LMS administrator. Um, not even a data analyst, as important as uh, we think that is. It would be. Someone who's in charge and solely focused on uh, curation, particularly that sort of you know broader knowledge based type curation that uh, we were talking about, and community—the combination of these two things—and then you know having their activities tied to le- uh, to clear learning goals and outcomes that uh, the learning business is trying to create in in the profession, in the market that it serves.
0: Right, and so we've been talking a lot about our activities as organizations, as learning businesses, and we've also been focusing on technology. But the final lever we want to highlight in this episode is not fundamentally about technology. It's about shifting power and responsibility to the learner.
1: Right. And this last lever is meta-learning, learning Learning about learning, learning to learn. And we feel it's a skill set that the adult population throughout the world is is sorely in need of right now. If you think, dear listener, about your own experience in school, chances are you were never really taught how to learn effectively. I, I know I wasn't, and Salisa, uh, I'm, I'm assuming you probably feel the same.
0: I can concur that I also feel like I wasn't really ever told how to learn.
1: So we need that knowledge, and you know, it, in fact, it, it's really only been in the The past decade or so that we've started to have the research, started to have the consensus around um, what really works in learning and and how to learn effectively.
0: And this is, of course, knowledge that we really have to be sure our subject matter experts, our presenters, and our facilitators possess. They need to know about this. And I think Many organizations still have room to improve in that respect, just making sure that their SMEs and presenters and facilitators really are solid on what makes for effective learning. But then even more importantly, this is also knowledge that our learners need. We need to teach our learners how to learn. And this is something that I think most organizations don't do at all. They're not really even focused on that. Um, Malcolm Knowles, the the father of andragogy, adult learning theory, he once said that it's a tragic fact that most of us know only how to be taught.
1: Yeah, and I, you know, I mean, I think it's a a great gift we can give our learners to help them learn how to learn. And, you know, I think even if listeners are afraid there might be some pushback on that, you know, it might be difficult to, to get adults to engage in that. I think, you know, the best learners, the ones that we that we really want um, to engage with um, as our customers, they're truly going to uh, appreciate this. And, uh, and, and I think people are starting to, to realize over time that they really, really do. Need this. So, it was, you know, a little help with that. We have uh, uh, not too long ago published an essential guide to andragogy. Um, we'll be sure to link to that in the show notes. We also did an episode on adult learning theory. We'll be sure to, to link to that as well. So, those are two valuable uh, resources for learning businesses that want to up their own game around meta learning and. W- wanted to, to know the ideas that they, they should be conveying to their adult learners. And then we also uh, have coming up, um, in fact, it's the, the next episode after this one. So depending on when you're listening to this episode, it may already be uh, available for you, but definitely stay tuned for it. Uh, um, and that's an interview with Scott H. Young, who's uh, recently published a great book Called ultra learning, um, which is you know really about taking on big, ambitious, challenging learning projects, and he talks a lot about meta learning and about you know what. It-